There was one particular question that kept coming back to me while I was writing and while I was going through my journey. What if we could be more successful if we were less stressed? On this episode of the Creator Community, we'll meet Jennifer Peavy, principal at the Black Lab and innovation consultancy, and now published author. We'll follow Jennifer's journey of leaving the security of corporate America and finding her own career path, focusing on her passion for innovation and creation. We'll learn how we can evolve by taking lessons in nature and making time to truly reflect and focus on what is important to us. In a world that seems to only accelerate, Jennifer offers a roadmap to slowing down and building the life you want with less stress. Jennifer's journey has led her to publishing her new book, Natural Reflectors. Check out the show. Welcome to the second season of The Creator Community. This is a brand new podcast series from book publisher New Degree Press. I'm your host, John Saunders, founder of Ford Advisory Solutions. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,000 published authors. In this show, we get to know the authors and their books, as well as give you a behind-the-scenes look at their journey. We'll find out what it takes to bring a book from idea to being available to wherever you buy books online. It's no easy task, but certainly attainable. Today, I have with me Jennifer Peavy, author of Natural Reflectors, Moving from Burnout to Engagement by Phasing Reflection into Actions. Jennifer's book has an early September 2021 target publishing date and will be available wherever you buy books online. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It is wonderful to be here. It's great to have you. You know, if we could start maybe with a little bit of context, Jennifer, could you share with our listeners a bit about your background and your career journey? You know, how did you navigate to where you are? Absolutely. I have quite a varied background. I started off in chemical engineering, moved into technology scouting, then in innovation management and industrial design. And it may look like I'm a bit scattered, but what it comes down to is I have a lot to offer. I am highly analytical, I'm very creative, and then I discovered this empathy side where I want to understand people that were receiving what I was developing. And I was always looking for ways to bring all of me to the table, and I think that's where these opportunities happen. I said, oh, I can learn that, and I can bring that to the table and offer more. It wasn't until Tom Kelly, I read Tom Kelly's book, Ten Faces of Innovation, that I understood that I'm a cross-pollinator which means I grab a bit of information from over here and I'm able to bring it over here, much like a bee does going between flowers and flowers. And so when I bring those two things together, I'm able to open up possibilities for people and see that there are new ways of doing things. I make non-obvious connections, but sometimes I will also see a gap and then I'll work to be able to fill that gap, which really helps to have that varied background because then I have different skills for whatever gap needs to be filled. What people have done, though, is come to me and say, okay, well, what do you think about this? And they find that it's interesting the way I think, and it does end up opening opportunities for them. So I'm not sure what to call myself at this point, but I did label it a thought leader. I still like to think of myself as a designer. And now the really cool thing is being an author. Congratulations on getting the book done. And I love this concept of One, taking this diverse background and taking the time to, dare I say, reflect on how do these diverse, how does this diverse background I have translate into a a very meaningful skill set? It sounds like you found that and that's right. And I I love the parallels to nature as well, which of course your book has some themes around, Um, you know, given your diverse background and 
you know, like all of us having a busy life out there. You know, can you share with our listeners a bit about your author journey? You know, how did you get from idea to, to being published? Sure. I, much like most of my career, I didn't necessarily set out to be an industrial designer or innovation management. I didn't set out to be an author. It was an opportunity that was presented to me and I chose to take it. What was going on was I was starting a freelancing business and I was trying to understand how I was going to manage my life. And the product of that became a workbook. And after a couple of months of going through this workbook, I thought, this is actually working for me. And I felt like I needed to share that with other people. I ended up finding someone that was actually in her last stages with New Degree Press. And she said, yeah, this might make an interesting book and introduced me to the Creator Institute. I pitched the idea of my workbook and they confirmed what she had said that it's really better to start with a book. And then people would understand the argument about why they needed the workbook. So there was the opportunity and I chose to take it. Now, my journey as an author has had a number of surprising events within it. Um, there was writing the first story. It's an iterative process where you throw things down, which as a designer worked for me well, prototype something and get feedback. So I was trying to write my first story. I think it took me an entire week. Looking back, I'm not sure if it was because I was scared or if I just was trying to be the perfect person about it, getting, going back to my engineering background. When I finally was able to do it, though, then I could start churning out some stories. Once we had those, my editor and I worked together to put together a chapter. There again, that was a pretty big hurdle. We, we tried one. It turned out not to work at all and started with a blank sheet of paper and wrote an entirely second chapter. Then we were happy with what was going on. With the Creator Institute, the goal is to put together a first draft manuscript. And I knew that from the beginning. So I planned out what I was going to do. I was able to turn it in two weeks early based upon what we had planned originally. My editor came back to me and said, you know, this sixth chapter is kind of meaty. Why don't you split that into three? Well, I had two weeks left, so I decided to do that. The thing is, I really like to check things off my to-do list. So there I had turned it in. I checked it off my to-do list. And then the idea of splitting that chapter into three, I was pulling it back off the list. And I was growling the entire time. I didn't want to do it. It's over. And I, I thought, no, this is an opportunity. I'm growing. I should be enjoying this. So I stopped and I said, why am I getting so angry? And I think the heart of it was my definition of success was it was printed on the page. It was in a hardbound cover and the book would be in a bookstore. And then therefore I was not succeeding because that's the only definition I had of success. And I said, no, I was successful when I finally made that first story. I was successful with the first chapter and I'm successful with the first draft. And I feel like those are elements that I should have been celebrating along the way. And I felt like that was a really great life lesson, not only for the book, but for everything I'm doing. I really uh, love this story, this iterative process, this taking time to reflect, to look mm -hmm. back and think, what is it, you know, what can I learn from this rather than I have to do this or that and, and take these binary mm -hmm. decisions. And I, I love the analogy you shared earlier about the bee and, and, you know, I'm tying this sort of, maybe I'm connecting the dots now in your story, which yeah. is this reflecting concept, if you don't take the time to reflect, it makes it much more difficult to connect those dots from pollen to plant to plant, if you will, or idea from thought to thought or across the enterprise. Uh, I really like that concept. And I appreciate the, the uh, metaphor from nature that you use with the bees. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So natural reflectors, you know, it took, as you said, it took so much time and energy to get this done. And it sounds like you learned a lot about yourself along the way, but, you know, given the time and energy it took to write, you know, why, why did you have to 
What, what drove you? Why did you have to get this book out there? Well, so going back, I was personally going through the topic. I had left a corporate position burnt out. I was trying to figure out what my options were moving forward. I, I could go back to employment. I could start my own business. I could go back to school and have another career change. You know, I had four up to that point. Why not another? I felt like I needed to reassess and redefine. I did not have this opportunity before me. So I was thinking, what do I want to do? That was a new approach for me. I had always assumed that I would need to be employed. And this idea that I might support myself in other ways or take a new venture, I felt like I needed to reflect on what I was going to do, on who I wanted to be. And so that's kind of where the structure came from. It was not only managing what I was trying to do freelancing, but it was also trying to understand what I wanted. And the beauty of it was I was finding a source of peace and joy. I was being nourished by this structure. Now, let me remind you, this was during the global pandemic and we were under lockdown. So I was not only dealing with the stress of trying to figure out what was I going to do, but now I was dealing with the stress of lockdown. And yet I was finding this peace and joy. Now, it wasn't all the time. I'm, it's, I'm not trying to a snake oil salesman here, but it was happening. And I felt like that it was something I needed to share because I was seeing with people around me. You know, stress is a global issue. The World Health Organization calls it the health epidemic of the 21st century. And yet I was finding peace and joy. So I felt like the book was an ability for me to start in a discussion, to say, you know, busyness is a choice. And if it is a choice, then what are our other options? And be able to talk to people about it. There was one particular question that kept coming back to me while I was writing and while I was going through my journey. What if we could be more successful if we were less stressed? And I started researching it and I found out that actually could be a true statement because if we are less stressed, we can hear better and make higher quality decisions and then therefore have higher quality outcomes, which should feed back into being less stressed. I love that. And understanding and taking the time to reflect, again, this concept of reflection is so consistent throughout your book, no, no surprise it's in the title, but you know, finding where the true purpose and passion in your life lies and, and lean, leaning into it, if you will, and just the cathartic exercise of putting pen to paper and writing about it is, is uh, I love that, that you found less stress in your life and you found yourself more productive. That is fantastic. You know, maybe we could get, let's get more into the book now. You know, what is Natural Reflectors? What, what, what's it about? What, are, what is the, what is it? What are some of the high level themes of the book? So it's really a guide on how to do personal product or personal process development. And a, a lot of the lessons that I have in there is this, there are three main ones. The first one is this idea of needing to shift your mindset or a paradigm shift. You know, we have been taught and told a number of things about the way we are supposed to handle our lives. And we need to open ourselves up to other possibilities. It could be we're going to go against the status quo. You know, in my case, I'm not going back to employment. So that actually was a huge emotional roller coaster for me because that was not something I had ever done before. It takes courage to take on something new. It wasn't that the outside world was pressuring me to be employed, but it was something that I thought I had to do. So that's where the shift in mindset becomes important. The other thing is understanding long-term thinking or maybe playing the long game. It isn't about the play that we have today. It isn't about just today. I always use the metaphor for myself that today is a brick and I'm building a wall and all I need to worry about is that one brick. But then there are times that I can actually stop and, and look to see that entire wall. And that helps me understand that I am actually building something larger. 
And if today doesn't go well, that's okay. We'll lay another brick tomorrow. And the system that goes together will create what I want it to create. So my hope then with that is that we're becoming less reactive and more proactive because we can see the long-term game. The other thing that I think is important is to be able to understand what works for us individually. We all are unique, but we need to understand ourselves. It's not only what is important to us, but how will we work better? And we're really designing a life that is for us. And so it's not only what is good for us today, but also how are we going to adapt? So it's almost going back to that shifting your mindset is being open to the fact that I am going to change. So creating a space for self-care so that you can hear those answers, being able to focus on what really matters, and then also taking a moment to say, what in the world is not working that I still am continuing to do? And maybe I shouldn't be doing that so that I can open up space for something I do want to do. I really appreciate this mindset shift of, you know, really, it sounds simple, but it's so powerful being, being open to change and recognizing that we don't have to live the life that you know, some news clipping or, you know, whatever we've been told or be- led to believe that this is the life we have to live. In your example, thinking, oh, I have to go work for a big company. That's the only reason, that's the only path to success for me. And taking this time to reflect and thinking about these daily rituals and ideas of brick building, uh, another fantastic mm-hmm. metaphor, and making sure that, you know, we take the time to realize what is it that I like to do and gives me energy? And what am I doing mm-hmm. that's draining on me or what, what it, that's, that's costing me, if you will, right. in, in, in real, real terms? Uh, I love that. Um, you know, when you think about uh, reflection, you know, you talked about stress and stress can, of course, lead to burnout. You know, how, how have you found in the research in your book and just your life's journey, how have you found that reflection can help prevent burnout? So before I get into that, let's back up and say, what is the definition of burnout? And so the World Health Organization calls it the management of chronic stress. So it's not a one-time event. Stress is going to happen in our lives. But burnout is the fact that we are having high amounts of stress over a longer period of time. And the symptoms of the burnout is the fact that you're exhausted, there's lower productivity, and you create a mental distance between yourself and whatever is causing the burnout, a job, it could be a relationship, whatever it is. I like to add a fourth definition to that, because I think ultimately what is behind it is that there is a lack of trust that there will be a positive outcome. There's almost this moment where you think, it doesn't matter what I do it's not going to work. And so therefore you don't care anymore and you don't want to do anything. You literally give up. And I think what reflection does is keep us able to see a larger picture. Going back to those bricks and that wall, we're able to see that there's something larger happening. And whatever the stress of today is not necessarily going to affect that long-term goal. The other thing is we're able to actually hear our gut and understand how we feel about those decisions. We may not have liked today, and that's okay we didn't like it, but tomorrow is another day. We're able to have higher quality decisions, and I think if we have higher quality decisions, better outcome, we're able to see progress. Again, is that brick going in the wall? Is that wall being built? And if we can claim that progress, we feel successful. We start to believe that there is going to be a positive outcome. I liken it to driving down a highway road. And if you've been in the Appalachians, you know you can have a number of switchbacks up there. So you can imagine you're driving down, you've got a cliff going off to the right, you've got oncoming traffic and that mountain going straight up to the left. I like to say reflection is what you're doing to stay safely in the lane. So it's watching the car in front of you and saying, am I coming up too close? Taking a look in the rear view mirror to see what's happening behind you. Oh, look, there's a sign. I'm about to go through some switchbacks. Maybe even checking in with yourself saying, 
you know what, I'm feeling drowsy. Maybe I should stop and get a cup of coffee before I try to focus on what's about to happen. And I think all of those things are just simple nudges that keep you from getting into burnout. You know, the alternative is you could be on the phone with a friend processing some argument you had at work and being completely distracted. And maybe you did pick up that cup of coffee and you got a cheeseburger that you're also trying to eat while you're going on the road and completely missed that sign. So those are the things that can lead to what is happening with burnout. The other thing is, what if you're actually burned out? Let's say you've just pulled off on the side of the road and you don't want to drive anymore, or heaven forbid, you've gone over the cliff. The nice thing that reflection does is give you a moment to say, where am I? Am I sitting on the side of the road? How am I going to get back on the road and get back in the lane and get going in my life again? What are the steps that I need to do that? What is it that I care about enough to take those steps? And it may not be that job. I'm not saying you have to go back to whatever the source of burnout is, but there may be reasons that will get you going again. And I think that's how reflection not only prevents burnout, but it is a way for us to get out of it. When you think about um, you know, reflection being such an important element of it, you know, how do people get this done? What are some of the key methods of, of making reflection happen or incorporating it into their lives, finding the time? So one of the things that in my working with reflection. So I almost look at it like cultivating peace. It's not something you go to the store and buy. It's not something that you can just pick up and go with. It's like you're planting something in the ground and you need to cultivate it and allow it to grow. So again, there are three things that I feel like are helpful for creating this environment where reflection can be successful. And one thing is shifting that mindset, saying reflection will be helpful making that choice and being open to the possibility of what reflection will do. And then there's creating space and time within our schedule. It does not have to be a whole lot of time. Um, Maybe in the beginning, if it's something you're not used to, you might want to have some more time so that you can learn how to reflect, but ultimately it doesn't have to be. It may just be simply a check-in, almost like you're checking in with a spouse. Hey, how did today go? Once you create that space, I think there are two things that need to happen in there. One is you need to be able to listen to whatever needs to be heard. And it may be something from your gut. It may be something that your, your brain is processing, or maybe you're you know, hanging on to something. You need to be able to hear, hey, something's going on. And the other thing is say what needs to be said. You, know, you may be dealing uh, with a burnout situation and things are not very encouraging in that environment. You may need to say some things to yourself to encourage yourself. And then you need to hear it. You need to accept it and bring it into you when you hear it. Now, how you deal, how you create that and cultivate and what, how you deal with saying and listening, those are completely your own. Um, some people are able to go on special retreats. They need to be able to get away from it all. And I can imagine, particularly with this pandemic, that is very difficult to do with all of us living on top of each other. Other people um, find ways with white noise, like in the shower, on the lawnmower. Often a long drive will do it for me, is being able to to get into my own thoughts. Some of the ways that I work is to actually journal and have a quiet time. I start every day with that where I check in. And it's just like what I said with driving down the road. I'm checking in with myself and checking in with my environment. How are things going? Now, you can also have some prompts that'll help you. Like particularly when I'm working first thing in the morning, I may not be the most awake. So it's nice to have these prompts. Four things that I do is I check in, how am I feeling as my energy level? 
If I'm particularly energetic or not energetic, I'd like to know why. What happened yesterday that may have drained me or what energized me? Because if it energized me, I want to do that again. I also spend a moment, what am I grateful for? Because typically being grateful or gratitude tends to create drive. You want to get up and get going again. Then I want to check in, what am I not feeling good about? And it could be all the way to what am I scared of or what am I just uncomfortable with? And then I want to tell myself something that gives me a statement of faith. So I might be nervous. Say, I was nervous about this podcast. And so I sat down and I said, you're going to do an excellent job. I'm a little, you know, being able to give myself some a cheerleading moment. And then the last thing is, what do I need? Is there something that is going to nourish me? Now, I find there and I struggle with, what do I need to do? And I will think, I need to clean up or I need to do this. But I always have to stop myself. What is going to nourish me for that day? And so like for today, I'm going to, it's Friday. I'm going to have a really good meal for dinner because food is always something that feeds my soul. So you can see there, there's some things in there that what needs to be processed? Why do I think it's important? Sometimes you can use those, but sometimes you could go to books or devotionals. I've even used YouTube videos. And in fact, most of those prompts are things that I grab from other sources. But again, it's something that needs to be, what does it resonate with the person who's taking on this personal product or personal process development? I love the fact that you've, you've thought about and created this process to help get this done. Is, is, there some, is there a key element to the story? You talked about nourishing. Maybe that's it, but it really helps people. You know, maybe we take time to reflect and we feel like, oh my gosh, I've got so many things going on. I don't even know where to begin. Is there kind of a, help, a thought on helping people prioritize that? Is there something in there from your story? Well, it's funny. I had some time with my coach yesterday and we actually had this conversation, exactly what you're saying. And often what I do, and, it, and sometimes it's completely counterintuitive, what is irritating you the most? Because <laughs> what is irritating you is probably distracting you from what you really want to do. And it's causing stress. And so I have a number of projects that are going on. None of them have anything to do with the front yard, but that was the discussion we had is it had poured down rain here. We had a hurricane go through and I went outside and went weeding because I was just really irritated by the fact of how my front yard looked. In the rain? Well, after the rain, <laughs> but it was this idea of that was, it was nagging at me and the, and the irritation, yes, it's stressful, but it's because there's that little voice inside of me saying, you're not handling it. And if I can get rid of that irritation, then I can give myself the positive statements that say, you did handle it. And I think that's a lot of the busyness and the stress that comes from is what are we telling ourselves? And reflection allows us to be kind to ourselves and create a kind space for ourselves. And I love this idea you talked about a little bit and ties into what you just said about this sort of progress idea. Like give yourself some way to create progress. In your case, go pick some weeds, pretty easy task to get done, right? And it makes me think of Teresa Amabile and the progress principle. Like so much of what we want in life is to see progress going forward. So I love this concept you've shared with one, the weed example, but also the brick one, which is each day I can see a brick going on that, that wall and it's getting a little mm -hmm. bit better. It's not done yet and it's not perfect, but it's I'm moving forward and, and I love that. You know, the nice thing is, too, is that I find that when I have something that that maybe it hasn't irritated me, but it needs to be dealt with. And in the past, I might nag myself about, oh, here's another thing you didn't get done. Because I can see progress, I can trust myself that I will get to it later. And therefore, I can let go of that nagging 
that that thing didn't get done. It's so I find good. that to be a really nice space to be in. I really appreciate that concept, giving yourself some positive information that we are, we are getting somewhere here. It's not done yet, mm-hmm. but it's part of the journey and we'll, we'll get there. You know, so much of your, your story is based in nature and you've, you've, you've used so many great examples of that, you know, how and where can others find inspiration in nature to help them with this journey you're talking about? Yes. Uh, so again, it's another shift in mindset. The fact that we can even be inspired by nature, you know, often it's something we use as a luxury on the weekends or maybe when we're um, on vacation that we might actually look at nature. I think that we need to open ourselves up to being curious to what nature can teach us. Uh, I know there are all sorts of examples, particularly during the pandemic, the fact that we were all at home, there were tons of things on social media about how nature came back to places it hasn't been before, like jellyfish in the middle of Venice. And I think what we need to do then is have this curiosity about what is going on, why is nature doing that, and maybe even question why, so that we can pull it down and pull out the inspiration. I think what we'll find if we do that is there are going to be layers of discovery, And within those layers, we're going to find patterns. And once we have those patterns, I think, at least for me, and maybe the engineer part of me, it's just, it absolutely fascinates me that all these things are happening. Stacey Levy is an environmental artist in Pennsylvania, and I interviewed her for the book. She likes to tell stories or have her artwork tell stories about how nature is moving, particularly in urban environments, because you know the further we are in the cities, the less likely we are to notice, or we assume that nature's out in the country somewhere. She had installed uh, an artwork in downtown Philadelphia on the Schuylkill River. It's called Tide Field because it is a tidal river, and that's actually a very unique thing. So she spent about two years just studying the river because it does have a tide and it has ebbs and flows, but it also has currents because the water is coming down from the Appalachians. And then she finally put her installation in and what she decided to do was to emphasize this idea of the tide and the cycle that it has. She took a number of buoys and put and strung them together. There were nine of them, three of three different colors. And so when it was high tide, the buoys would stand upright. And so you would only see the top three. And then at low tide, it would actually come down and sit on top of the water. And that was what she was hoping to do is all those people and all those skyscrapers in downtown Philadelphia would be able to glance out at the river and have this sense that this tide was happening completely independent of whatever their PDAs and their phones were telling them to do, that it was happening out there and it was consistent and it was something you could depend on and felt like that was something people needed to hear. It also allowed them to notice the river. But what was interesting was those buoys on the surface actually started moving with the currents and it revealed all sorts of new patterns because this buoy might move this way and this one might move this way. She had not seen that before. She spent two years with that river and until she put the buoys on it, there was a new layer for her to discover. And so I think that's something that we can do is we can observe, we can watch YouTube, we can go on vacations, we can go look at what's outside. But once we interact with nature, we may also get another layer of discovery and more lessons within it. And I think the only way we interact with nature is to put ourselves in it, right? And, and, you know, exactly. one thing I really try to do with my family is go out and hike on the weekends in the middle of nowhere on these trails. We have all these lovely trails around, get away from devices, you know, get away from all the screens we see in our daily lives and just see what's around you and, and 
you know, the movement of nature and, and these things. I love this buoy example. And I wonder how many people in Philly, uh, you know, found some, some really calm and, and help in that and seeing this really interesting pattern happening around them. Uh, you know, when you think about this uh, inspiration that, that this, uh, uh, that, that was found in the Schuylkill River there, you know, how do you apply these lessons? You know, what, what nature teaches us? Did she share any examples of that? Or do you have any you'd like to share? Sure. I, I think what it comes down to is what resonates with you. Uh, with Stacy, it's about water and water flow. Um, and it, it'll be what connects with you. And some of it may be a physical realm. It might be over time. And then what Stacy likes to do and what I have learned to do is create a metaphor of it. How do I actually pull that into what I do during the day? Once I do that, though, it's not something, oh, I take it on all at once. I mean, she took two years before she installed this. I'm sure she had prototype. I'm sure she tried things. So you start with something that resonates. You try it out, reflect on whether it helps or not, and then adjust as needed. And eventually, I think you're going to end up finding there's something that does work for you. Another thing that I have done, though, is letting go of what didn't work. So it might be I went down a road and, and it worked for a time period, but it doesn't work forever. So it might be that we need to go back and either go back to that particular example or not. So for me, I was looking at how to put together reflection and action. I know that I'm highly intuitive and I knew that if I took the time and got into a space where I could think about things, that that was part of my superpower. So I wanted to intentionally create a space for that. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And it was more than just that morning ritual of saying, okay, how am I going to get up? And am I checking in? I wanted to do it on my projects. I'm not really sure how it came about, but there were a number of different sources. And I ended up looking at the moon. And part of the metaphor for me was the fact of how much light was the moon giving off. So what I did was as the new moon was dark, that was when I would reflect more. And as we moved to the full moon, when it's light, there would be a lot more action. And then obviously I would go back towards the new moon for having more reflection. And so what was happening, more light, more action, I would get more into details. And then as I was less light, I was reflecting more and I was dreaming more. And I liked that because there, there are 13 moons to a calendar year. So that was a time period that was a, about a month. It was a short bite. It allowed me to try things out and then if I didn't like something, I could try it out again or try something else in the next moon. So I really appreciated this cycle. Now, what's interesting about that, that was 2020. 2021, I said, you know, I could do the same thing with the calendar year. In the winter, it's darker. So therefore, I'm doing a lot more planning and a lot more imagining about how I want the year to go. But of course, now that we're in the summer, when there's a lot more light, I've got to-do lists galore. And we're just, and there's one reason I have all this chaos and why the weeds were bothering me is just the fact that there's so much going on. It's a, then something I'm trying out this year, but I'm really excited about next year because I'm seeing how I could plan it even better and maximize on this time period of to-do list versus a time period of dreaming and planning. Um, the other thing I'm starting to wonder is obviously that happens on a time scale of a day. And it may already be happening, you know, I'm kind of slow in the morning and I slow down at night, but it might be interesting to be more intentional about what I reflect on, maybe those prompts again, and maybe how I manage my actions at the height of the day. 
That's a fascinating thought you shared there, which is, you know, reflecting has helped you actually improve the process of reflecting and get more deep into your thinking. But I also appreciate this concept you continue to share, which is observing nature and how it changes and goes through these cycles and helping us maybe better understand that we're also in that sense, our lives don't go in a straight line. They go through cycles, things cycle in and out, days are longer and more stressful, less stressful, what have you. So I really appreciate that parallel that you're sharing and how if we observe that more in nature around us, it might help us better understand how our lives are going to change from day to day and be more accepting of it. It's going to come Absolutely. and go and we, we have to be more comfortable with that. I, I love that idea. So many great lessons here. And I love that there's a process to help people not only get into this reflective mode uh, or understand this reflective, this reflective mode but in stressful modes, but get out of it as well. You know, when you think about this journey overall, Jennifer, for you and writing this book, have there been any unexpected positives um, just going through this journey for you? That is such a beautiful question. Um, So I started my career as an engineer, like we started the conversation with. And, you know, the, the bias about engineers is that we do not communicate well and do we, and we also do not know how to write. I don't know how many times I receive performance reviews come back of, okay, you don't communicate well, you're not writing well. I then did take classes where the teacher looked at me and kind of scrunched up their eyebrows. They told you that? He never, I, and I didn't pursue it and I should have done that. But people do come to me because they like the way I think, that I do open up possibilities to them. And what has been interesting about writing is it has helped me then be able to organize those thoughts in such a way that I can communicate them to a larger audience. You know, normally people come, hey, can we have a coffee? And then they want to talk through something. But this is obviously something that's bigger, larger audience, and will go on beyond my life, so to speak. But I have found that there's this zone then where I can take those thoughts and organize them. And I actually am a good writer when I take the time to reflect on all of that and get into that zone. That's been a very exciting thing for me and actually kind of a badge of honor that, hey, I can do this. There was a writer hiding in you all these years. And, and in fact, one I'll, I'll call less than stellar manager seemed to try to stifle that for some reason. Maybe they didn't appreciate your style of writing. Uh, maybe that was it. But uh, Or maybe so I awesome. was lazy. I may have been, <laughs> I may not have been spending time reflecting. I may have just been writing and, and it may have been indeed bad. Interesting. Well, there you go reflecting again. You've, you yeah. continue to live the lessons of your life, Jennifer, which I really appreciate. What is a key message or or what do you hope people take away from reading your book, Jennifer? Absolutely. I I think the key first thing is that busyness is a choice. I don't know how many people I've talked to and they tell me everything that's going on in their lives. And I might mention, well, you know, you don't have to do that. And they say, yes, I do. I realize we set up our lives in a certain way, but it is a choice. But whether it is my process or another way or facing it differently, it's not a light switch that just comes on and off. It will take a lot of doing, a lot of bricklaying to be able to change things, but it is a choice. And I want to encourage people to take that up. The second thing is no matter whether you take what I have done or want to go some other way, a healthy process does need to have elements of reflection and action. You need to think about what we're doing and then what we're going to do about it. There are a number of different ways, you know, nature can be inspiration, but as far as an academic research area, there are three different main areas of reflection. If somebody wants to to dig more, there's reflecting before you do something. So it's planning what you're doing. There's reflecting back on what you have done so that you can improve it. There is also reflecting in the moment. 
kind of like driving down that road. You take in information and you adjust to stay in the lane, but it's a continuous, continuous speed cycle. And each of those is unique, but I think people need to also look at themselves as unique. Just because somebody else does it that way doesn't mean it works for you. doesn't mean we can't borrow what we learn from them, but to also make this unique to yourself. I think that's very important for us to, to get that kind of satisfaction and peace and joy that I think we all really want deep down. So many great lessons in there about just taking time to reflect. You know, I think this, I, I love your message because particularly in this day and age where we just go from device to device, from, you know, video call to video call, and we're just running all day. You know, busyness is a choice. We can, we can take control of our calendars, put on them, you know, of course, not 100%. We, we all have uh, right. someone we're beholden to in some way, but making that intentional choice to take that time to reflect and manage our own thoughts and get us to where we want to be. Uh, what a beautiful message and tying it to nature is really inspiring, quite frankly, for me. Thank you for sharing that story. Thank you. Jennifer, if people want to learn more about you and your book, where, where might they go? Sure. My uh, social media handle is at jennifer.theblacklab, which that's my freelancing business. Why is that? And then also my website is jenniferpd.com. So it's very easy to find me there. That is outstanding. One quote I saw on your book that was a, a praise quote I, I, I thought it might be interesting to share is, you know, there's an interesting topic that the author researches specifically to find an aha moment living inside of her. I was jealous she got to see the light. Scott Clear, chief design officer at Defy Company and principal of Defy, Defy, Defy Design. I thought that was a really brilliant story, a brilliant quote he shared. Uh, Jennifer Peavy's book, Natural Reflectors, Moving from Burnout to Engagement by Phasing Reflection into Actions will be available early September 2021 and be available wherever you buy books online. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, John. It has been a pleasure to be here. Now, great to have you. I'm your host, John Saunders. Keep moving forward.